Going into 2020, I had the New Year's resolution of writing a script a month. And the goal of that was not to come out with 12 perfect scripts by any stretch, but it was to get a really strong understanding of my process and give some love to ideas that I might not want to dedicate eight months of my life to. What is a version of this story that I would actually want to watch? Love You Anyway kind of came out of it. Hi guys, welcome to the About Story Podcast. My name is Nathan Johnson, and I'm really lucky and privileged to have Anna Matz on the show today. Welcome, Anna. Thanks for coming. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. We just want to, on the show, we like to talk about storytelling. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what kind of got you interested in storytelling. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I feel like everybody always has like their story. Um, I wrote novels in mm. middle school. I loved writing on my Dell laptop. I would do, like, even before that, like, I think everybody has the, their young creative phase. And I had, like, a multiverse of, like, Bratz dolls storylines. Like, I would have, like, empty shelves that were their houses. It was just, like, a room full of, like, empty shelves and dolls. But, like, every doll had a story. And so I think that when I look back, I'm like, oh, maybe that's where like things started. Mm. Um, and then I just was reading so much in middle school and I thought it was a pipe dream. I was like reading like Twilight and being like, I wish I could write. And I kind of looked at other careers and stuff, but I always, always loved writing. Later in high school is when I kind of stumbled upon filmmaking. I went to a really weird high school. It was a classical Christian school. I graduated in the class of 20 people. I literally made like a The Office style parody of it. And I was in literature class and I was like coming up with all of these ideas of ways to spoof the school. And I went home and I typed it up and not even a script format. And then I sent it to my friend and he was like, we gotta like actually do this. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I borrowed a camera and the first week of summer, me and my friends got together and we just filmed in the school and I don't think anybody expected anything of it and I cut it together on iMovie and released it and of course it was a big hit because it's a small school and everybody was like oh it's so funny and um and it something like clicked in my brain where I was like whoa is this how my brain was engineered for story all along because I'd always done prose and I always you know loved character and dialogue and uh, plot but I never was very good at like the pretty description part. And so with film, like the visual replaced that. And when that kind of clicked in my brain, I was like, I think this is what I'm designed to do. And for some reason, working in film felt less like a pipe dream than being a novelist. (laughs) I don't know, but that's what I decided to do. And I shot my shot and went to film school for it. But that's kind of the journey. It was definitely a bit of a curvy road of being like, no, like this is like the way you can live your life. And now I think like if little sixth grade Twilight reading Anna could see me now, uh, it would be like mind blowing. So you went to Biola, correct? Yes. Um, what was your experience like there? It was really good. I think, well, it was important to me to go to a Christian film school. And so when I 
crossed those two areas, the list got very short. And so with Biola being adjacent to Los Angeles was incredibly helpful. I did internships pretty consistently my entire four years. So I, I did like four total and that was the on the ground training I really needed to be able to segue into the film industry. But I was also in the honors program reading like tons of books and that's what really taught me like how to tell stories how to embed themes and deal with topics and just reading such like complex stories of all across time so that also played into my bio experience quite massively it was really like a combination and what I found with people who go to film school like at Biola and others is like it doesn't really matter where you go you're gonna be dissatisfied to a mm -hmm. degree and I think film is just one of those professions where you just have to get on the ground and start doing it there's always a gap between the classroom and what's really happening and so my strategy was to kind of like makeshift my own uh, film school and so I was you know doing Biola stuff but then I was reading a ton in the honors program doing internships. I also took some night classes through the UCLA extension program. Mm. And so that sort of weird hodgepodge is what I really credit to being able to graduate with like a decent understanding of how writing and TV specifically works and definitely helped me make that segue, which is often the most difficult one from college into the actual industry. Definitely. So what was that like for you? What was the uh, what was kind of like your first job out of school? Yeah, so in my leading up to graduation, like eight months, I was an intern at Sixth in Idaho, which is Matt Reeves's production company. So it was while he was prepping Batman, I would be the one who would like bind together the scripts on red pages and deliver it to studio executives and cast members in locked briefcases. Love Sixth in Idaho, love Matt Reeves, and so I was there for so long, I earned a lot of credit with them. And so graduating, first off, I didn't have like any job offers, which was like terrifying. And so I was like, okay, mm. like I've been here before, like I know the hustle. Um, then I got a temp job as an assistant and that was like about a month. Then during that month, one of my contacts at Sixth and Idaho was like, hey, we need a director's assistant for this pilot, are you available? And I was like, Yes. And so that was the NBC show Ordinary Joe, and that was a Six in Idaho project. And so that started very early on. And so there was this brief, sweet moment um, before the pandemic hit where I was working as a director's assistant and that segued into a showrunner's assistant. I felt like I had the dream job and everything was going well and I was so lucky. And then the pandemic paused everything. And I went from working 12 hour days, like a lot of people to doing nothing and being trapped at home. Yeah. And luckily uh, I had a writing routine that was pretty reliable and that single-handedly kept me sane. And surprisingly, like through the pandemic, I received a lot of opportunities that jump-started my career in like an ironic way, like where I was able to take advantage of this weird pause of the industry to kind of take a few additional steps. So like I look back and yeah, pandemic obviously was awful in many, many ways, yeah. but it was crucial to my career taking off, which is kind of insane. And I mean, for writers, I think quarantine was such a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Cause I know for me, I had been waiting my whole life for this moment where yeah. 
I can just entirely focus myself on writing because ever since, you know, talking about like middle school, it was my math homework comes first, my this comes first. So then in college, it was like, well, my assignments, my this, my reading um, or my job. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you get used to fitting and writing into the cracks of your life. And so the pandemic and quarantine allowed me this unique opportunity to say to myself, mm. like, how do I want to set up my writing routine and what should my goals be and what do I want to do with that? And obviously, you know, it's not easy living through a pandemic. And so there's a lot of like, kind of like mental health balance to be had there too. Like, I think we all went crazy and that obviously impacts the quality and quantity of your writing. Mm -hmm. But for me, it, it changed everything because going into 2020, not knowing any of this, I had the New Year's resolution of writing a script a month. And the goal of that was not to come out with 12 perfect scripts by any stretch, but it was to get a really strong understanding of my process and give some love to ideas that I might not want to dedicate eight months of my life to. Mm. Like my goal is to hit the end by the last day of the month. How do I need to structure my goals for this week? for these upcoming weeks so that I can meet that. And being a little prideful, I was like, well, I'm not gonna miss my deadline. And sometimes that looks like writing 40 pages on the last day of the month. Mm. And they were the worst pages ever, but I would do it because I wanted to say that technically I did. And so that really, like, also, was, I think it also builds discipline too. Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. I think so much of writing is a muscle and a habit. Mm. And so now as we've eased out of the pandemic and now these other responsibilities have eased back in, I found myself really fighting to protect that time and feeling frustrated at myself when I'm not like turning out the same quantity that I used to because now I know I'm capable of that. But like just there's life stuff and work stuff and that's just kind of the nature of it. And I think that's why writers have to be so disciplined because it ultimately it's you advocating for your own work and your own space to do that work like on a daily basis. Yeah, I know for me personally, like when I'm writing, I have to really focus and really like zone in and be like in present when I'm doing it mm -hmm. or else, like you said, like things will distract me um, and I'll not be doing the things that I know I should be doing. And I'm just like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do this. I can do this. And then before you know it, you haven't written anything. Yeah. I would love to hear a little bit about um, the project you're working on now. Tell yes. us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we shot that in October of 2020, and it was one of the scripts that I wrote in May of 2020. So going in, you know, the whole script a month thing, like top of May, I knew I was like, well, I'm writing a script this month. And then I saw a posting for this contest, and they required a script submission. And I was like, well, I'm already writing a script this month, might as well write one for this. And so I reverse engineered this idea based on what they were looking for. Um, so it was Wayfair Studios, which is Justin Baldoni's company. And they were looking for a triumph of the human spirit, um, stuff that could be shot with COVID in mind, which was a pretty mm -hmm. novel idea and exercise that early in the pandemic. And then also, you know, things like Blair Witch or Searching, where you can kind of skirt the edges of how big of a crew you need because of the found footage -y nature of it. And so I wrote a script for that. It's called Love You Anyway. I submitted it and three months passed. And I was selected as one of the five winners, which was very exciting. And then it was very quickly fast-tracked. Like so much in Hollywood is so slow and now yeah. I'm realizing that with my other projects that I have going is that like things just 
like it's all at once or it's like dead still. Mm -hmm. And so I had this kind of strange experience of being fast tracked. Like I wrote it in May. We got greenlit in August, shot in October, and we were wrapped and done with post by that following March. And it's finally released this summer, which is really exciting and strange because I feel like my head hasn't like been in it for a while. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of been refreshing because I've watched it more than any human being, like against my will. <laughs> like I never wanted to watch this movie this many times. Um, and I think with any writer, that's one of the most difficult parts, writer or director, I guess, mm-hmm. is like just staring at your work for hours and hours on end and somehow coming out not totally hating it. And sometimes mm-hmm. you hate it because it's bad. And that's one thing. And sometimes you hate it just because you've looked at it from so many angles, you can't see it for what it is anymore. And I definitely felt that in post with the movie. And so it, it's been nice now having that space, I can come back to it, not as like bittered and burdened and actually get to appreciate uh, myself and my colleagues work and get to celebrate it with everybody. And the strange opportunity that the pandemic also provided was that everybody was dying to work (laughs) because nothing had been shooting and everybody had just been sitting at home. So, you know, we've got a movie that's going and we got some incredible casting directors and we suddenly had access to talent that we would have never had access to before and that we also could never like afford. Mm. And so it was interesting because people were so willing to work that we got to collaborate with some really incredible people. And I know with my film, so like the short of it is like if you think of every possible way that you've been recorded your whole life. So your family, home videos, stupid videos you made with your friend, dash cams, doorbells, videos from your iPhone. And if somebody cut that together to tell your story, what would it look like? And so it's like found footage through home videos is kind of the thing. And so it's mostly shot on iPhone. We have some more like older, like VHS type stuff earlier on, but most of it was iPhone. And so it it was this interesting mix of being very intimate and like voyeuristic. Like the idea is like, Mm. it's almost like you picked up your friend's camera roll and you're going through the videos and it's almost like, should I be watching this? And it also provided a lot of intimacy because most of the time the actors are talking straight to the camera because they're talking to the person behind it. And that also created a cool opportunity for the actors because to make it feel realistic, they held the camera and filmed it themselves most of the time. And so it created this really cool opportunity also where because of how like low maintenance the setups were, that the talent could kind of go and do it and we could step away. And I think it was cool for them too to be able to act through the iPhone because we would give them directives like, hey, like don't like shoot over there, avoid this corner, avoid this light. But there was so much like that they were able to improvise of like, well, how would you shoot this? Or how, what angle would I feel natural doing this if I was really doing it? It was this really cool exploratory thing for all of us involved. And going back to the incredible cast, because a lot of the movie is like headshots of them talking, there's a lot of monologues. Mm -hmm. Like we knew we needed really, really reliable actors to carry these scenes. And especially there's some incredibly heavy emotional moments too. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know, we have to buy these people being real because this is the whole backbone of the movie is that it's this voyeuristic journey watching somebody, you know, grow up and develop depression and ultimately overcome it and how that plays out in her life, especially focusing on 
the recovery of it. I think there's a lot of movies that focus a lot on like the downward spiral and they dramatize that, which is legitimate. And then they end it being like, maybe they'll get better. And you're like, mm -hmm. you don't know. Whereas in my film, that like lowest low happens much earlier on in the film. And it's more about, okay, well, how do you build back from that? And so all that to say, we needed believable performances. Like the second that someone feels like, oh, they're acting, like the movie fails. Yeah. So it was incredible with Rain and Charlie to just trust them so much. And they you know, delivered such incredible performances where they're holding an iPhone against a wall and they're giving this really emotional you know, monologue and you just, you cry with them. Hmm. And so we could not have gotten them, could not have shot with them if it hadn't been for the pandemic. And we were just so fortunate that they loved the script and that they wanted to work with us. It was just amazing. So where did you get the inspiration for the story? Like what, was it something personal that you were going through or is like, how do you, how do you find your stories? Yeah. So I write whatever is interesting to me. And I know mm -hmm. that's very contrary, I guess, to what a lot of people are advised starting out. They're like, find find your niche. And I definitely have that. And it's rom-coms. I love rom-coms. Yeah. But what I found in that 2020 experiment was I gave myself the freedom to just write whatever I wanted and to explore and try and whatnot. And so with this film specifically, you know, I did reverse engineer it from those kind of like three criteria. And um, I watched uh, Justin's movie, Five Feet Apart, and because it was called the Six Feet Apart Experiment. And so I kind of really looked to that for cues of like, what like what is the ethos of this company and what will they respond to? And there's always this tricky thing when you're reverse engineering ideas is that you come up with stuff that you hate. I'm like, I wouldn't even watch that. Like technically this checks the boxes, but like this is garbage. I remember really just racking my brain of like, what is a version of this story that I would actually want to watch? Love You Anyway kind of came out of it. And a lot of it is a combination of my own experiences, family members' experiences, friends' experiences with depression. And so that's kind of the origin of that, of like putting a lot of those experiences on the screen in a way that felt authentic and not overly glamorized, like sexy depression. <laughs> it's like, that's not <laughs> what this is. Um, and so I think I was just really inspired by putting that to the test and also the challenge of, okay, well, how, what are all the possible ways that somebody has been recorded? So there was a lot of ways that didn't even end up getting into the film, but I just, it was a cool exercise of just exhausting it. And I remember I put so much of my own self into it. Like I, I took a break in the middle of this one because it was so emotionally taxing mm. and it was so personal. And, you know, and they always say, write what you know. And this was something I definitely new and it and it came out quite easily because of that but also it was very very like emotionally difficult and a lot of people reading the script like had the same reaction they're like i cried and like that's exactly like you took the words out of my mouth like i've been there my friend's been there my sister's been there like and it, so it was affirming to feel like, okay, I got something right. I think just kind of living in that realm and exploring the idea for what it was kind of kept me going and discovering it along the way, 
which is also something that I hadn't really done before. And that was actually the first script that I wrote without an outline. Thing I was like, I always hear about these crazy people who write without outlines. I don't know how that works, but I want to give it a shot and just see what happens. It was interesting because like I was writing, I was like, yeah, I don't know how the story's going to end. And I think that also contributed to its real life feeling was because in real life, you don't know what's coming at the back end of the second act for you. And I've never written a script like that, never written a script like that since. Don't know if I want to, but it worked. Well, I think the whole point of storytelling is to leave your viewer or your reader with something. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to change them. You want to affect them in some way. Yeah. And in order to do that, I think you have to be personal. You have to like talk from mm -hmm. your heart. I think it's one of the reasons why stories have been around for so long is because it's, we're talking about the human condition. Anytime yeah. you can explore that. Yeah, and I think there's also this responsibility with filmmaking mm. of there's a lot of people putting in a lot of man hours and a lot of money to tell this story. So like it better be worth it. It's yeah. so much labor, it's so much sacrifice. And sometimes I've had, you know, younger film students come up to me and they're like, I wanna make my feature. I'm like, that's cool. What's it about? And it's about something that like does not like does not matter to them, it does not connect mm. to them. It doesn't have, it's just a, the cool idea that they can shoot for no money. But filmmaking is so difficult and it doesn't matter what level, cause I've seen it, like I've, I've seen Batman level mm. and I've seen my level. And you have the same problems. You never have enough money. You never have enough time. You never get what you want. It, it's the same scenario. And, but the, the consistency is that you have to like love the project in some very specific integral way to who you are. Because like when you're on that zillionth draft, when you can't find that prop, when like all your department heads are driving you insane, like all of that, like, like if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I know I have contributed something meaningful into the world. Like I had one teacher at UCLA, um, he was saying like, if you could give one piece of advice to people 60 years from now, what would that be? Write your movie about that. Wow. And that like, and that was way before I wrote this, but that stuck with me because I, I felt that feeling coming back of like, yeah, if I could only tell people in the future one thing through my movie, like this would be the one thing. It seems like since you were so involved with the writing process, but also the production of it and the post-production, can you kind of describe a little bit how, how the story changed or shifted or? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I also directed the film and originally I didn't intend to, I just wrote it. And so I was doing that script a month thing and I finally felt like I had a grip on writing. And then this contest thing came about and my co-producer Emilio, who was the first person I brought on, the only person I would have trusted to go on this insane journey with. And I was like, yeah, I don't know who's gonna direct it though. And he's like, Anna, like, I think, I think you have to, I don't think anyone else is gonna understand it. And I was like, yeah, maybe. And he's like, also, I don't know if we can have you on set because we have to limit COVID so much. And I was like, well, I'm gonna be on set for this movie. So I guess I'll direct it, which is kind of like a stupid reason looking back. <laughs> um, but it's also very hard to say no to directing. Like I felt like you're, I was being given this like silver platter, like how would I actually say no to it? Looking back on the film, what you're talking about through these stages of like the original conception and so many scenes that are in there that aren't in there anymore. So, you know, like it got slimmed down, like move by yeah. move, which is interesting, especially going into post. So like there were some scenes that got cut, like go like prep going into shooting. And a lot of scenes got changed because of just like logistical stuff. Like, oh, well, Mackenzie can't work at a record store because we can't find a record store. Can she work at a bookstore? And I was like, yes. You know, like <laughs> things like you pick your battles. Like there were always the scenes in my mind of like, 
like this is integral like if this doesn't work the movie doesn't work and yeah. that's where i put a lot of my weight behind and so it was kind of a lot of those more like fatty scenes that like fell off and so then going into post it was interesting too with the different formats so, so as the movie mm. goes on the picture gets more and more clear similar to Mackenzie's own journey of understanding herself and her mental health like there's this clarity that happens another reason why a lot of scenes got cut is because the alternative forms of video were too jarring to cut between mm. which was something I wasn't anticipating and like maybe in a perfect world with more money more time it could have like worked better mm -hmm. um, but it was this process of looking at it as a whole you know and killing your darlings and all of that and that's where my editor Ryan Dayhoff really came in clutch because he had this fresh view and also he's an incredible editor and he could see the big picture in a way that I was no longer able to and so a lot of was like I don't know if we need this I don't know if we need that and we like yeah you're right let's try it and I think you have to adapt a mentality of what is the best thing in service for the story? So how do you feel like coming out on the other side? It's funny because I did these like uh, video vloggy things or whatever, like once or twice a week. And at times I've looked back at them and like hearing myself talk about what I was nervous about, what I was insecure about, what I wasn't mm. sure and realizing like, whoa, I forgot that I used to feel like that. And there's some scenarios where I'm like, Anna from three years ago would have been really stressed out. But I think like the stress that I experienced on the film was like more than my threshold could possibly take. And so now like there's this new framework through almost all my life of like, no, like it'll work out. And so I think I have a newfound confidence that I could never have had without shooting this movie. Um, I also was so insecure about directing going into the movie. Do you think that's helped your writing? Yes. Well, one, I think whenever you direct, it forces you to think through a lot of the more logistical mm -hmm. aspects of like how difficult a scene is. Usually when I write, I do, you know, I shoot for the sky, then like you can bring it down, right. like especially through the casting process of like what is going to make an actor want to do this project like mm. what are you giving them like there's so much about like okay we've got to get into it fast got to hook them fast got to make it clear fast and i think directing forces you to realize what you need to focus on and what matters and that helps with writing it's a great answer that's <laughs> such a good answer so let's talk a little bit about what are some of your favorite experiences working on your film? Mm -hmm. If there were like any other ones that kind of popped out to you. Casting was definitely a really exciting thing, especially because we had these phenomenal casting directors. And so we got lots of auditions. And I think the process of watching really wonderful talents read your writing and knowing like somebody read this monologue that I wrote and like put the time and effort into memorizing it, putting their emotion behind it. Um, and so that was definitely, I think one of the more fun parts because you get to see the potential. And with that, I think working with them was definitely like a huge highlight, like getting to really dig into scenes and prep. Because you do so much prep for a movie. Like my goal was like, okay, on set, like all these crazy things are gonna happen, but what can I be in control of? And mm -hmm. that was my own understanding of the film. Like if I can know this thing backwards and forwards inside and out 
really understanding like what is the goal of this scene what is the subtext of this Mm. scene what is the crucial emotional turn of this scene and just talking through with the actors and being collaborative of like well what do you think rain and charlie and i had talked through those scenes so well that once we actually got to the moment i didn't really need to direct them i just needed to create the space for them to do what they needed to do and so i think that joy as a writer just seeing your writing come to life is always just so thrilling Hmm. What, what's what's the goal for the next couple of years for you? Yeah, so I've always been advised by my mentors and other writers that I know is like, you always got to have something in the pipeline. And especially when you have any sort of sizable project, the question you will always be asked is what's next? Right. And I was very fortunate also with the 2020 script month thing um, that I had like an arsenal of scripts ready to go. And they weren't, you know, ready to go to go, but they were in a stage where, okay, let's start rewriting. Let's fix it, let's send it out. And so right now I have a pilot that's set up with 20th. We pitched to ABC, we have another pitch coming up to CBS. So really hoping that that lands somewhere. My producer on that is really wonderful. And it's just been like this weird gambit of the waiting game. And then a lot of features that just float around as like specs. Like I was also advised early on in my career that like specs need to be your best friend. Hmm. Like a writer's currency is their spec material. And so right now I'm really focused on making a sale, getting one of these scripts through the door. It's, I mean, it's always a pretty difficult market for that, but it's this idea that you have to increase your opportunities for success. So if you have that one script that you're banking your whole career on, Mm. like maybe it'll work, but like that's such a narrow window for you to have success. Whereas if you have any sort of multiple projects that you have in different veins with different people in different areas, your likelihood for success goes up. And so right now it's just this sometimes agonizing process is just throwing stuff at the door, keeping Mm. up with people, emailing, staying consistent, staying relevant. And it's, and it's fun. It's also like crushing at times because rejection is quite difficult. How do you deal with it? How do you handle it? Yeah, so it's hard. You have you have to just, it's like the name of the game. Like, you know, it's the old thing of, you know, Stephen King had the nail in his wall and he like mm. pushed the every rejection letter through it. And you kind of have to treat it like that. You have to accept like this was rejected because it has some sort of like, it's not for them. It's like dating, which mm. sucks. But also like, I think you need to be reasonable enough when hopefully rejection is accompanied with feedback. Mm. Sometimes it's not, but it usually it is. And so when you can start seeing a pattern in the feedback, that's when you have to kind of like step aside, put your ego in check and be like, okay, maybe I need to revisit this. So I just want to thank you again so much for being on the show. Um, And as we kind of wrap things up here, do you have any like kind of final thoughts or uh, words of advice for either for the craft of writing or just life in general? Like how do you, um, how to keep moving forward or how to respond to things? Yeah. Um, So the thing that I think I've learned the most intensely over the last few years is the art of the first draft and how it can and should be garbage. Mm. Like I think writers put a lot of pressure on themselves and like that first draft is the huge mountain to get through, you know, because it's not good, it's very rough and it's hard to stare at your own mistakes and and finish it, but you have to finish it. So that, that would probably be my advice and the thing that I'm still always working through and something that in writing a first draft every month unlocked in my brain and it it felt like it it set my writing free and also set like my own self-criticism away of like accepting yeah this is not good but I'm going to do it because that's what you do 
and professional writers sit down and they write. So they don't wait for the muses and no one says it's going to be good, but you have to get into that discipline. And from there is when you can really get to the cool gems that lie underneath all of the garbage of a first draft. Well, thank you, Anna, so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. It's been such a pleasure to hear your stories and your insight. And, um, you know, I wish you all the best with your film coming out and your career. I think you're just getting started and I'm looking forward to seeing great things for you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and the film will be available to rent and to own on Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube movies, and all of that good stuff. So I hope people check it out. Fantastic. And where can people find you? Do you have um, yeah, so I'm on Instagram. My handle is my name, Anna Matz 24 And the film also has an Instagram, which is Love You Anyway Film. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us on the About Story podcast. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.